0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. The latest anti hate rally in Hamilton was held this weekend and it attracted over 100 people, including the mayor. MetroLinks has confirmed that work is underway to complete a third track for the West Harbor GO station, but when are the trains finally going to get there? Also, former Press Secretary Anthony Scaramucci says he no longer supports the re election bid for Donald Trump. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. This past Saturday, there was uh, yet another rally uh, by a couple of different factions, at least, uh, in front of Hamilton City Hall. The latest anti-hate rally was held this past weekend and attracted, uh, we're told, uh, over a hundred people, including Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Uh, Graham Crawford, history and heritage owner, active resident and Hamilton Citizen of the Year, your reigning Citizen of the Year, uh, was there, and he's here right now to talk to us about it. How are you doing this morning?
1: Well, I'm doing well, Bill. It was a, it was a nice nice weekend, and you're right. It's not a very nice Monday. but uh, <laughs> Well, it was a
0: sunny day down at City Hall. Uh, there was a great deal of anticipation about what was going to happen because you and many other people said, look, this is the time that we have to show just where we are as a community right?" and say no to hate. Uh I, I guess the first question I got is were you surprised were you
1: pleased with the turnout I was very pleased with the turnout because i I would say although crowd sizes are always difficult oh, yeah. but but people Bill, come and go at least a couple of hundred people and I would say maybe a few more but you're right they they come and go um but the diversity of that crowd was fabulous uh there are people who go t- they're tireless they go every Saturday to stand up against hate and there were those of us who aren't have not been. I have not been every Saturday for a whole bunch of reasons, but I was there and I was pleased to see people like, uh, well, counselors, uh, Maureen Wilson, Narendra non, Brad Clark. All who have th- been at these before. They, they have. But this you had is some not new their faces. first rodeo. They have been to these exact things before, but there were three new people from council who were there. or I mean, they're, they're, they're old counselors, new attendees, if you get my point. Um, Judy Partridge was there. And stayed for a while. Jason Farr, or 2 Councilor Jason Farr was there and stayed for a while. And uh, Mayor Fred Eisenberger was there. Not for very long, but he did show. And he did uh, hold up a sign, a banner, um, have his photograph taken. It would have been you know, better if he would have been able to stay a little longer, but I don't know what his schedule was like. But the fact is, he was there. Yeah, well, what sort of a message does that send to you? I think what it says, I'll be direct, Uh, I think that the power of the people is getting to them. I think that people speaking out, writing emails, making phone calls, posting on social media, talking about this, is finally getting through to our councillors who have been silent. Some of them, there are a number of them who've been vocal from the beginning since the Pride violence happened, but some of them have been very quiet. But they, and two of those people were there on Saturday, and good for them. Um, The mayor, in my opinion, has been a little too generic in his statements. They look like, the statements read as if they could have been in a drawer for three years and pulled out, because there's nothing specific in them about what is actually happening. However, I'm not here to just, you know, criticize, criticize, criticize. I have to acknowledge movement, Mm -hmm. and there was movement. But there were also people... That many people in Hamilton know. You know, Terry Cook w- was there. Hamilton Keaton Community Foundation, Chamber yeah. of Commerce, uh, Jason Thorne, our general manager of Ec- uh, Economic Development and Planning, was was there. Uh, more, um, um, <laughs> Paul Wilson and Marnie Wilson, Paul Wilson of the Spectator, uh, not not as a reporter, but just as a as a resident. Um, and and on and on it goes and Bill I met people for the first time I'd heard about them on social media was following them but I met a dad who was there with two young kids Um, kids weren't there this time but they have been there every time he goes every Saturday he's a lovely man very articulate smart and is there to stand against hate the last time he was there with his two children who held up signs about love Literally, the word love is on their placards. They were spat upon by the Yellow Vesters, spat upon. And then privately, he was told they were going to hurt his children. So people who think, oh, no, this is just between, you know... Uh, half a dozen uh, yellow vesters and maybe a couple of dozen of other people uh, this is very serious and I'll say this I had a good chat with counselor of Partridge she talked about her dad 92 year old dad who's not doing so well at the moment but Judy talked about he fought against the Nazis in World War two and I said Judy then your dad would know firsthand how, why this is so important to step up to it when when it's small like this because that is how it oh, happened. I don't, I don't know that it's small anymore
0: well, the, the, the thing, thing is, that I think should sure concern enough. everybody here on council uh, is is the way that this is uh, well morphed in in some ways. I mean, this started out as an incident during Pride Week, correct? And now it is uh, it is it's manifested itself now as as hate speech, as na- neo Nazis, as white supremacists, uh, who may well have been responsible for that. But there's a much bigger problem here: is that now this city. Is, is starting to, to develop the reputation for a hotbed for this sort of thing. I mean, we've got more hate crimes in this city than any other city in the country. That's that's not something to be proud of, certainly. And that's from stats can. Yeah. This is reliable and the, and, data. And, and these rallies on a weekly basis now and the confrontations that are going on, uh, it's starting to draw national attention. For, uh, and and I'm surprised, frankly, that more councillors didn't show up based on that premise. This is our city we're talking about. This is our city's reputation and boy,
1: I tell you, once you put a black stain on that, it's damn hard to try to get it out. Well, Bill, I couldn't agree with you more. I think every councillor not only needs to come out, they need to speak out. And many have not even spoken out, let alone showed up. So we've got a problem, and th- there needs to be some uh, unfreezing, and there needs to be further and expanded leadership. We need to get all councillors there uh, to stand up. Um some counselors are doing tom jackson uh is really pushing for uh, uh an independent investigation of police behavior uh, pride and after um to his credit he wasn't able to be there on saturday but he did send me an email saying here's why i can't be there That that works for me people have lives sure but i lo- i really hope tom does come to to one soon Uh, He's been actually quite good in standing up uh, on this. Bill, I saw so much positive energy, uh, so much diversity uh, in that public space in front of the People's Hall on Saturday, which was very heartwarming. Families, uh, met a couple of parents who had five children there, all beautiful children. One of them gave me a bouquet for my birthday. Uh, It was just lovely. However... I, I want to ask you.
0: Was there. I want to ask you about that. Yeah, please. Uh, you still have an issue. Uh, and you're not the only one. Uh, many people have, just what I've seen on social media, still have an issue with the way the police have handled this, the way they pl- handled some, well, a couple of different situations on Saturday. One is the bus parked oh, in the yes. forecourt yeah. at City Hall.
1: So the bus, this is a full size school yeah. bus driven by a guy who, as it turns out, was wearing body armor pulled up onto the sidewalk, fully onto the sidewalk, not just curbside, but fully onto the sidewalk where people were standing, uh, people who were there as anti-hate demonstrators. Um, And the police were there. There were three officers who came up to the bus, and they negotiated with this guy for 45 minutes. Nobody could figure out what's going on here. There was nobody else on the bus. So it turns out this guy owns the bus and he's from, I don't know where he's from, but there's Alberta plates on, on the bus. And there were signs on the window uh, being anti-foreigners, you know, get rid of foreigners. Yeah. So there were signs for officers to know this was a problem. And then after 45 minutes, they let him drive off the curb. Now, Bill, you know, vehicles get used as weapons. In this country, Toronto, there are people who are dead or injured because some guy drove a van and a truck in Toronto and killed people. This, in my view, is dangerous. So you got a guy in body armor with anti-foreigner posters on a school bus, and he's permitted to pull up on the sidewalk where people, residents of Hamilton were standing with signs that talked about love. And why, did he, why
0: did he pull up there? Do you think it was to intimidate you?
1: Absolutely, to intimidate and to block It's a big bus. So if you take up a big space like that, it means people can't stand there. And so if they stand on the other side of the bus – because part of this, of course, is the thousands of cars that drive by. And the amount of honking that you get, positive people waving at at those people standing against hate, that's what it was about. And the cops should have known that within three minutes. But 45 minutes later, they let the guy drive away and he goes round to the back parking lot and parks illegally because I saw the bus. And then comes back and joins the demonstration with his body armor and an upside-down Canadian flag. Uh, and he's got badges on on his army fatigues. So the cops saw all of this. And uh, the cops, Bill, I, I, I confronted one of the, the officers and I said, look, I'm, I'm misunderstanding something here. Help me understand. I see officers standing with their backs to the yellow vesters looking out, to the crowd. I said, body language matters. And what that message, in my opinion, is sending is you're protecting them against us. You're concerned about us. Does that not seem odd? And I was shut down immediately. I mean, I was treated like I was some 18-year-old, you know, whatever. Uh, and, you know, I, that's not what I am. And in fact, I called them on it. I said, you're not shutting me down, are you, officer? Because it feels that way because they were quite abrupt with me, and I thought that was really inappropriate, because I was very civilized, and I asked questions. I didn't accuse anybody of anything. But I was also there, Bill. Yeah, I want to ask about the other incident,
0: too. There's, uh, I, I don't even know if we can characterize it as an arrest, but police did uh, oh. move somebody away. Oh, no, it's Bill. <laughs> it, um, this was violent. I, I don't know if charges were laid. but yep, uh, they were. Uh, no, I have heard that this guy was, was holding up traffic, that he was actually going out on, onto
1: Main Street. No, I was there. I watched it. This is a young kid. I mean, Bill, you and I have got legs that weigh more than this kid. I mean, seriously, he's a little skinny little kid. I mean, a very brave one because he is out there right up face to face with these yellow vesters and national front people and national party people, and he's, he's fearless, But, Bill, I watched him. Every time the traffic lights turned red in front of City Hall, he would go into the crosswalk, but only when it turned red, and he would dance in the middle of the street. So I don't know how you think that's threatening. It sure didn't look threatening to me. Well, so at one point, he went across the street and was sort of confronting the yellow vesters. And then he came back across towards the forecourt, and the cops went after him. And I saw this. I took a photograph. It's It's online. But there are videos. There's all kinds of stuff. Eight officers, eight officers pulled this kid out of the crowd and marched him with his arms twisted behind his back to the parking lot at the rear of City Hall, and they threw him on the ground, this kid, and they handcuffed him, and they put him in a cruiser with no air conditioning on, windows up for for 40 minutes, and he's sweating, and they, they bloody well knew what they were doing. And again, I asked them, I said, is this your strategy? And I was, again, dismissed by by officers there. I asked, who's in charge? They told me it was a sergeant, and it was the sergeant who arrested the kid. But Bill, what's even worse in my opinion, although as if that wasn't bad enough, every single police officer who was standing between the Yellow Vesters and the rest of us left the scene. They all went to the back parking lot with this kid. Which means there are no officers in the forecourt for a number of minutes. At a point when it's probably, it was never violent. It was never even all that active. People were just celebrating. Um, I, you know, I question, and I would question, and I am going to question Chief Gert, What's that strategy? You think it's a good idea to have all officers leave the scene for one little skinny little kid? I, I don't mean to be. T- demeaning to the kid because he's the terrorist. Was he
0: being guy. abusive?
1: Was the kid getting abusive? No,
0: was he being abusive? That's one, another thing I heard. I saw on one of the social I think it was on Facebook, somebody posted well, he something. He didn't want to
1: be arrested. But the charge apparently is resisting arrest. Question is well, if that's the charge, well, what? why did you even ar- arrest him? And the charge ultimately becomes because he resisted. By the way, when I say resisted, he struggled. He wasn't throwing punches. Let's just be clear. This was he is not a violent person. That's why I want to get some clarity on this. I don't know him, by the way. It's the first time I've ever seen him. It was an abuse of power, in my opinion. Eight officers, and then they leave the scene and they leave the crowds standing there at a moment of tension. I don't think that's smart. And I want Chief Gert to tell us why that is part of the police strategy and training because that doesn't make sense to me. And if he gives you bill, if he's here for his you know, town hall, some bureaucratic speak, push him because that's what I saw. I was there, and I'm a good observer. I earn my living as an observer, as a consultant. I know what to, to look for. It was not good, and, there's, and we need to have some answers. So the bus, which is in my view a weapon – drives up 45 minutes. The kid who was dancing gets picked out of the crowd and arrested by eight officers, and the rest of us are left there without any police presence. Now, admittedly, some cruisers pulled up a few minutes later, but there is that moment. So why did that happen?
0: Well, these are all questions that the police board's going to have to answer to. They are. Uh, and I know that uh, there, there have been some ongoing problems, and it, it, it seems as if it was almost a bittersweet meeting on Saturday. You, you were pleased with the uh, th- with the people that came. Uh, great to see new faces, but at the same time, uh, same old, same old. And and I saw, and I, I'm just judging obviously because I was not there. But I'm just judging from what I've read on on Twitter and on uh, Facebook over the last uh, well 48 hours or so, is that uh, that many of the people that were there, uh, at the, to you know get rid of hate, uh, did not feel safe, and that's that's. A sad commentary that you have to go to City Hall and for something like this, and that you don't feel safe. Uh, I, I don't know what the police protocol is. We, uh, you, you've heard me talk to Chief Gert about this in the past, and he's 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 explained what was going on and what the ch- the. And I was under the impression that maybe there had been a change in in strategies uh, from the first couple of meetings, the first couple of rallies, where police seemed to be uh, trying to get between the two groups. I'm not so sure that that happened. Uh, and, and I guess obviously you've got questions, and I would hope. That members of the Police Services Board are going to have questions
1: next time they meet. Well, I I absolutely hope they grill Chief Gert on this. And I and I what I don't want to hear, which I got from a couple of officers on Saturdays, we don't discuss tactics, sir. It's well, the chief needs to t- discuss tactics. This this isn't rocket science, Bill. I mean, if they want to pretend that it's com- police is policing is complicated at a rally, you know, attending a rally is actually much much more dangerous.
0: Uh, I get talking with you about this, and the time just flies by. We're right out of time on this right now. More to come, I guess, is the best way to leave this at this stage. I can't
1: thank you enough, Bill, for staying on top of this. Well,
0: and uh, obviously we've got questions, and and this is time for leadership, and we need to get some explanations about this as well. Thanks a lot, Graham. Thank you, Bill. Graham Crawford. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. I was fascinated uh, to see a headline in the uh, paper uh, over the weekend, Uh, more GO trains finally coming to Hamilton's West Harbor Station. Uh, The connection of a new uh, rail track into Hamilton should make it easier to run more trains to the station. Uh, Problem is, they don't say exactly when it's going to happen. Now, you may remember, for years now, the Ontario government has been promising all-day go service to the city of Hamilton. And uh, it hasn't happened. As a matter of fact, we saw one projection a couple of weeks ago, I guess now, that suggested it could be well into 2030 or beyond before they actually do that. What is going on? And why is go a no-go when it comes to Hamilton? John Best is the publisher of the Bay Observer. He's been following this file since day one uh, to try to get the ins and outs of what's going on. John, welcome back to the show. Good to have you with us today.
2: My pleasure, Bill.
0: We're starting to feel like the Rodney Dangerfield of, of, of public transit here. What's going on?
2: Well, it you know, it really is uh, a matter of, of track capacity. It's it's not a, a question of, um, you know, willingness, I guess. It's uh, there really are uh, some congestion problems along that rail corridor. Uh, that uh, junction uh, just east of Hamilton, what they call the Bayfield Junction, where the uh, tracks, uh, trains from London and Niagara Falls all converge and then go on into Toronto, that's one of the busiest rail junctions in uh, Canada. So that's been a problem. And then, of course, the additional rail into Hamilton has been an issue. Um, but, but I think the other issue is, it's great to say we're going to have all-day-go service, uh, but normally, uh, notwithstanding what people will tell you here in Hamilton about LRT, uh, typically transit follows demand. It doesn't create demand. So if you really look at Hamilton, we're, we're running uh, two trains a day out of uh, the West Harbor and, uh, and a couple, three more out of uh, the, the Hunter Street station and then we have half-hourly or 20-minute bus service uh, throughout the day, uh, we, we've got a pretty good connection to Toronto, quite frankly, in, in terms of demand. It's not like there's people standing around and there's no train. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty much a balance uh, in terms of, of supply and demand. Now, I, I, I think there's no question that, that when the, the line is fully uh, up and running that that it will create a little more demand because we are getting condos built in the in the general vicinity of of the GO station but um, i and I think the other factor that'll really make a difference is when we get the centennial go station and then you're going to start seeing uh, passenger pressure coming from the east so it's it's moving along it's slower than anybody thought but uh, uh, the long term plan for the west harbor is that it will become the main station and the Hunter street one will only do rush hour
0: well and and these are, are all wonderful things to to know that are going to be happening in the future but i guess uh, you know i get the question a lot of folks are asking is is just how long is this going to take and and i understand i the bus service is the bus service i get that but the the downside of that john if you're in rush hour uh, you're still stuck in traffic you're just on a bus instead of in your car and uh, when I was doing the commute to Toronto on a pretty regular basis, I'd take the train as often as I could, which is sadly not very often. But it was such a, a nice, warm feeling to be zipping into Union Station on a train and seeing that bumper-to-bumper traffic on the Gardner Expressway. So I, I think you... It's one w- great
2: sights. It, it is. And, and <laughs> it's one of the great sights of the GTA is to be looking out that Go window and, and watching that uh, traffic jam on, uh, on the QE.
0: But when are we going to realize that on a regular basis? I mean, because other cities have been asking for this, and well, I understand the, the congestion problem, but it's solvable. I know it's going to cost money, but it is solvable, isn't it?
2: It is solvable, but uh, even when where GO is building its own tracks, they still have to negotiate uh, the right-of-way because the property that they're placing the tracks on are, are belonging to the railways. Um, I think uh, you know Phil verster the the president of uh, Metrolink did say uh, earlier this year nobody was paying a lot of attention but he did say uh, stay tuned in terms of Hamilton and I guess what we're hearing now uh, is the beginning of that stay tuned uh, but again i I would say you don't put um, you, you you get de- demand comes first and then comes the service not uh, service comes first, and then the demand and yeah you know, I, I think we get it all mixed up a little bit here in Hamilton because we have this idea that that transit is somehow a magic wand. Transit's job is to move people around, and uh, I would suggest i don't you know there there may be a few more people that would be able to use go, but anytime I boarded a go station, a go train here in Hamilton, uh, the train is largely deserted. it doesn't start to fill up until you get halfway through Burlington and Oakville, then it starts to fill up. So I would say the service is equal, more or less, to the demand. Once you get out of rush hour, the, the best way to get to Toronto still is that go bus, but you have to be out of, you know, if, if you have an appointment, say, at 11 o'clock in Toronto, you catch that 10 o'clock go bus, and it gets you down there in less than an hour. So, you know, I, I would argue as, as much as we all want to see these things, where's the demand?
0: Well, and, and I understand that totally, and and I've, as you say, for those of us that have been on that bus or train, for that matter, too. Uh, if you're getting into Toronto at eight o'clock in the morning and you get to Union Station, I mean, you're, you're there with about eight million other people. I get that, uh, and and by eleven o'clock, not so much. But the problem is, is is that's that serves those people that have to be to work by nine thirty or nine o'clock or whatever the case might be. But, if, as you just mentioned, that's not the way business is done these days. I mean, people leave at all different times. They have meetings in different parts of the city. and And I think the fact that they're concentrating on the morning rush, not so much on the afternoon rush is is all well and good. But if I'm saying if you put more on there, that you'd get more people that would say, "Yeah, I'll leave the car at home. I- I'm tired of that drive. I'd rather take the train if I could." Like so many other communities do, they simply take advantage of that train. And when we don't have that possibility uh, in here in Hamilton, and I-, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm maybe not as optimistic as you that it's going to happen anytime soon.
2: Well, the, the the one issue that we do have here in Hamilton that's different than than many of the other uh, go. Uh, stations is a you know we have minimal parking. I mean even with the West Harbor uh, there's parking there, but it's 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 quite minimal. So if if someone is going to use GO, um, they're either going to have to be driven to the station or they're going to have to take public transit to the station. And uh, you know uh, the, the now you're into uh, people transferring and especially if you live somewhere where you might have to take two. Uh, a bus transfer before you even get to a, a Go station, uh, so we we are uh, you know a little underserved in that area. If you go to Burlington, of course, uh, the main Burlington station, there's a mammoth parking garage there. So it, it you know I I think your typical Go user, uh, you're not really getting them out of the car. You're you're shortening their trip, but I think it, a typical Go user is still using the car for the first part and the last part of the trip and uh, we don't have those mammoth parking garages here and i'm not aware of any plan to have one so it's going to be interesting to see how people even when we have additional uh, trains running from west harbor uh... how people are going to conveniently get there
0: well that was one of the frustrations i had uh, and and i i've talked about it consistently i mean before they built the station down in the north end of the city and they're simply using Hunter as the as the, the GO station. Uh, I think we had the only GO station in Ontario that didn't have parking. I mean, you've got to get to the station, and you're right. Uh, the Burlington stations, the Oakville station, mammoth parking lots, and they understand that, you know, that's part of the routine. People get down to the station, then they take the train into the big city. Uh, and I think you'd see that happen if we had that sort of an accommodation. But you're right, even with the North End station, uh, they blew it when it came to parking. I mean, if you want to have people that are going to use this and, and it's going to be easy for them, we go back to that mantra that, John, you've been talking about for years. The only way people are going to use public transit is if it's affordable and convenient. And we're not there yet.
2: No, we're not. And and now it's quite possible because we've seen it elsewhere where Go will respond to demand uh, and build parking garages. So there, there are um, along the, uh, the Lakeshore West route where parking garages have m- more recently been built, where before uh, all they had was a surface lot. Now you see uh, down in the Clarkson area they've got a multi-story uh, parking garage. So I, I think GO uh, you know, will respond to demand uh, as-, as time goes on. To be honest, I think it's probably the best part of our southern Ontario transit system I've always said when you're looking at Metrolinx, one of the reasons that Metrolinx has any success at all is because they inherited a very well-run railway and bus system, which was GO. Uh, If you look at everything that Metrolinx has outside of GO, uh, it's not such a pretty picture. You've got all these uh, construction projects that are behind schedule, and, uh, you know, it's really much more of a mixed bag uh, in terms of success. GO Transit was a good running system before Metrolinks was ever invented, and um, it's still, uh, I think, uh, running reasonably efficiently. Is it perfect? No. Um, now, when I take the GO bus, uh, which I like to do um, when we're outside of rush hour, because it, it, it is so super fast uh, to get you to Toronto, I do notice that most of the time those buses are pretty full. But, you know, they make three or four stops on their way from the GO station, the Hunter Street station. They make several stops along King Street. And by the time they get out to the 403, that bus is pretty full most of the time that I'm on it. And and that's outside of rush hours. So, but, but doesn't that yeah, tell you that if one those... Of the best-kept secrets.
0: Doesn't that tell you, though, that that means if there was uh, increased train service, that those people would say, okay, I'm going to take the train now instead of the bus?
2: Well, you would hope so. You would definitely hope so. But I do worry about the parking issue.
0: Yeah, which is something that's going to have to be dealt with. And and uh, and again, I, I can use uh, the example, we were up in Barrie a couple of weeks ago, and I mean, their GO station right down by the waterfront there, huge, huge parking area, and they have all-day service to Toronto. So I, I know when they talk about how great Barrie is and how it's grown considerably, and it has over the last 10 years, part of the reason for that is because people who can't afford a house in Toronto are moving to Barrie because there's a GO train that's going to take them right downtown every day.
2: Yeah, and I, and I think uh, where Go has been wise is that they've recognized the reality. It's great to say we're going to change people's behavior, uh, you know, all this social engineering, but the bottom line is I think Go's uh, success with those routes is that they they recognize that people are probably going to drive uh, to the Go station and there has to be some accommodation for the cars, um, you know, rather than getting into some kind of social engineering experiment where somehow people are going to catch uh, local transit, and and of course that's the other issue in Hamilton. That even if we even if we uh, eventually do build the LRT, its connections to the GO service are abysmal. Um, it's uh, you know it's about a 300 or 400 meter walk from downtown to Hunter Street, and uh, of course it's a kilometer from downtown to the West Harbour GO station, and the West Harbour GO station is going to be the one that gets the frequent service.
0: Not Hunter Street, and wasn't well, it one of got some issues here? Well, it sure was because wasn't one of the issues that MetroLink said right from the get-go here is that it must be connected to to the to the GO trains, uh, LRT has yep. to have that connection, and uh, uh, they're they're cutting us a lot of slack here. You're absolutely right. You know, to to have to go from that and use the LRT and then to try to find a GO station. I know it's just a short walk over to Hunter Street, but the the service to Hunter Street's actually going to decrease in the, in passage of time. So that's not really much of a help to them.
2: No, and you got to think about people with walking disabilities as well. Um, you know that three hundred or four hundred meter walk is is nothing for a younger person, but uh, for an older person that's uh, that's dependent on public transit uh, that is a bit of a challenge. So uh, I, Hamilton is always unique, I guess because we're you know our, our geographic position we're at the end of the lake i I'm old enough to remember when uh, CNR service, uh, there, there was one train every day. It was, uh, it was going from Toronto to Windsor, uh, but it, it had a scheduled stop in Hamilton, and that train used to have to back into Hamilton uh, Terminal and then, and then head out. So, uh, you know, geographically, at the head of the lake, the way we are, uh, uh, sort of on the, uh, the node of, uh, you know, the Niagara Falls route and the Toronto-London route, uh, from a rail service standpoint, we've always been a little bit unique here.
0: is Is the government committed to this, uh, and provincial government, obviously, since we're talking about transit and transportation here, uh, to to understand that they're trying to get people back onto trains and off the roads, I mean, because that was part of the uh, the, the the places to grow is part of the growth plan for the province of Ontario. Uh, I know that the current provincial government actually it would love, I think, if they had their druthers, to toss the Places to Grow program in, the, in a blue bin someplace and start all over again. But it has been the, the 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 template for the growth that we've had here in the last little while, and it, it is predicated on the fact that we're going to get people out of their cars and using public transit. The, but then you go back to, is it convenient? And it's not. So they they they're talking the talk, but they're not really walking the walk here.
2: Well, they're. You know, it's uh, hugely expensive. Rail infrastructure is is hugely expensive. I mean, if you look at, you know, if you sort of take a 30,000-foot look at the situation, uh, in the last decade and a half, we've seen service extended to Guelph and, and Kitchener. And as a result, we now have housing booms uh, in places like Guelph and Kitchener because people can actually contemplate living in a community like that and still getting to work in Toronto something that would have been absolutely impossible to do by car so you know there's been some response if you look at niagara uh... you know right now it's just weekend trains to niagara falls but there's uh, actually a pretty good bus service um, connecting niagara falls uh... and all points in between with the uh, burlington train station uh... i think those buses are running roughly every half hour and and that's kind of the way it works. You start out with bus, and, uh, and then as uh, demand increases and, and as, um, you know, unfortunately you also have to deal with the physical limitations of, of rail capacity. But, you know, if you, if you look at it sort of broadly over the last 10 or 15 years, it appears, to my mind at least, that, that GO has responded uh, to demand. And, um, you know, I would expect the next thing we might see is a Brantford Woodstock kind of uh, connection. That hasn't happened yet, but uh, certainly Go is, you know, plunged into, you know, places like Kitchener and, and Niagara Falls, where I think 10 years ago we would have thought, you know, that's crazy. Nobody's going to commute to Toronto, but turns out they are.
0: Well, and uh, I know that the. Gosh, the, the people in Brantford have been asking for this for at least 20 years that I know of uh, to have that line, which I think if they were to do that, John, uh, that might even, uh, I, th- I think, address some of the concerns with the Hamilton service because it's got to go right past our area uh, to do something like that. So, I mean, you could kill two birds with one stone.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, a, a Brantford service, uh, we're getting into railway talk here, but a Brantford service would probably not come into Hamilton because that would be, uh, fairly difficult, but it would probably, you know, go to Aldershot, which, again, uh, you know, people who maybe aren't familiar with the system might not realize that the Aldershot connection, even though we we don't have all day go service in Hamilton, what we do have is half hourly trains going to Aldershot, and, and I can tell you, I've used this service many times. If, you, if, you, if your train uh, terminates at Aldershot and doesn't come into Hamilton, you step off that train at Aldershot and there's a bus sitting there with the door open and you're not seated more than one minute before that bus is pulls out, goes down to 403 and takes you to the Hunter Street Go terminal. Uh, so, you know, there's, there, there's frequent service, even though it isn't a locomotive. Uh, there, there actually is half-hourly, 20-minute service uh, coming into Hamilton every day. Yes, you have to step off the train and step on the bus, but it still gets you there, and you don't have to use your car.
0: Uh, we're just about out of time here. I just was musing, though, the other day about this, because, of uh, and you mentioned the, some of the congestion with tracks, etc., Uh, And I I keep going back to that decision by the Mulroney government back in the 1980s to actually sell off a lot of those railway tracks because they said our train travel is dead for all intents and purposes. And We're using them as rail trails, which is really nice, and we can cycle on them and walk. But, boy, it sure gives us other options if some of that stuff was still available, some of that infrastructure was still available.
2: No, the value of those right-of-ways, I think we've learned the hard way, uh, was incalculable. And, um, you know, it's great to have the rail trails, but... um, in some cases, we've we've wiped out infrastructure that we could use again.
0: Absolutely. As always, John, thanks for this. Really appreciate the time. My pleasure, Bill. John Best from the Bay Observer.
1: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900
0: CHML. Former Press Secretary Anthony Scaramucci, in an interview on CNN, says that he no longer supports the re-election bid for Donald Trump uh, because of racism and a number of other things. Uh, they've actually been going on a Twitter war, Trump and Scaramucci, over the last couple of days. And uh, part of the reasoning for that, I guess, is uh, the outrage that many people have expressed about uh, Trump's tweets over the weekend where he actually promotes uh, a Clinton conspiracy theory that uh, suggested that the Clintons were directly responsible for the uh, death of uh, Jeffrey Epstein, who, of course, was found dead in a cell uh, on Saturday morning. Joining us to talk about all of this is Barry Kay, political science professor at Wilfrid Laurier University, uh, majoring in uh, Canadian and U.S. politics. Barry, great to have you on the show. Thanks again for the time today. Hello, Bill. Uh, we, I don't think i outraged so much and shocked by what Donald Trump tweets anymore, but uh, uh, this has uh, become the new normal for him, conspiracy theories with absolutely no proof or, or anything to substantiate them. But, uh, gee, three million, I guess, retweets on this. Uh, some, somebody's listening and somebody's buying everything this guy's saying.
3: Well, yeah, I, of course he's got his followers, and the whole idea of polarizing the American population into the Pro Trump and the anti-Trump people has been really there from the beginning, and frankly, there have been conspiracy theories from the beginning and even before. Um, the idea of the, Trump, the the Clintons being the heavies in all of this is is kind of part, just part of the deflection and distraction that Trump is also engaged in. Uh, the hard part of all of this now, there's no question that everything about the Epstein death is suspicious, um, except for the fact that it probably was a suicide. I mean, he had lots of motivation to suicide, and indeed. Um, Although it's not officially, uh, I guess, been determined by the uh, by the coroner yet that, in fact, I think that's probably going to be pretty clear. Uh, the question is the facilitation of the suicide. Um, and um, again, this is all under the, D- the Department of Justice. The attorney general, um, Barr, is the guy in charge of all of this for for. Trump to credibly claim that somehow that the Clintons are responsible for getting to Trump's appointee, the person he called his, uh, his new Roy Cohen, the guy that was going to protect him, is pretty absurd. Uh, but, you know, the, again, American American public is so polarized that you either love Trump or you hate him. Uh, as it happens, more people hate him than love him, but nonetheless, there's a, a fairly substantial division. Uh, I don't think the—now, uh, I don't want to, to cleanse uh, Clinton of— Inappropriate behavior because he's been doing inappropriate things all his life. Uh, But in in terms of the demise of Epstein, it's going to be pretty hard to blame that on on Clinton, even if Clinton has secrets that um, Epstein may know. And indeed, there's a number of other names. I'm not sure I want to mention them all right now, but they're certainly in the public domain. If people want to see some of the other people, some of them Democrats that have been connected to Epstein in the past, but uh, the fact that this is ultimately this isn't going away. This is too big a story. And uh, too many of the there were just a whole bunch of things associated with the suicide being taken off suicide watch in something like four or five days after he had tried it. The fact that he had had a, um, a roommate of sorts that was removed. The fact that he was no longer in prison clothing. The fact that there's a kind of apparently some kind of garment they can put people on suicide watch on in that makes it prevents them from being able to use the material to um, to hang themselves. Um, there's more to it than that. Um, I, this ain't going away. And this is going to be a big story, and I think it's going to rebound much more on people connected to Trump, if not Trump himself, than it is the Clintons. But the idea of deflecting and suggesting everything is out, every problem goes on is everybody else's fault, especially the Clintons. This is not new. This is part of part and parcel of the way Trump runs his, his administration.
0: Well, and uh, yeah, you're right. He's been doing this right from day one. I mean, from the birther thing with Obama saying he wasn't born in the United States uh, to uh, claiming that Ted Cruz's father was responsible in part for the JFK assassination uh, in Dallas. Texas and and on and on it goes The
3: that... wiretaps wire oh uh, yeah just one thing after another but you know among the true believers uh, it's it's really a cult and that's what really what a cult means it's not that people can't believe in people of various views but when you sort of suspend any sense of judgment and just accept everything that the cult leader says that's that's really the problems with the cult and for a lot of Trump supporters I think that's what it's come become
0: but but the long-term problem that that causes, though, Barry, and you've talked about this in the past, is, is it, it it diminishes the respect and, and, I guess, the the belief that people have in the, in the institutions that Trump is attacking on a regular basis. Uh, and we can throw the FBI and the CIA and, and a Absolutely. number of different places into that as well.
3: The effects of Trump are going to certainly live long past the time he's president, whether it's in a year and a half he goes or, or further on down the road. A lot of suspicion. I think a lot of this, these doubts have been there before. The polarization of American politics precedes Trump. Trump really exploits it more than anything else. But there's no question: people don't trust the government. People don't trust the State Department. People don't trust um, the intelligence office. Here you've got a guy who's basically getting uh, intelligence advice from Putin rather than from his own intelligence office. As just one example, um, it, the harm that's being done to American institutions, not to mention distrust and uh, um, vilification, really, uh, you know, hatred among different groups within the United States. These are all just part of the Trump legacy that's going to live long beyond the time he's president.
0: And I, I'm a bit like-minded, by the way, with you. I, I'm not going to sit here and try to justify the Clintons because it's a, uh I don't want to, first of all. But the fact is, is the Clintons themselves have probably been the most investigated couple, I think, in in political history, at least in the last hundred years, anyway. Uh, from Whitewater to any number of other accusations and investigations. Uh, but a lot of people hate them, uh, and yep. including his base, Trump's base. So anything he says about Hillary and anything he says about Bill Clinton, they're going to take hook, Line, and Sinker just because they hate them, and they want to hate them more.
3: Yep, that's true. I was, was watching this uh, program um, on uh, the the last um, the loudest voice about, uh, about uh, Ailes, who, of course, is himself dead now. But Ailes had a lot to do with basically building up the uh, the, tr- the uh, fox audience on on disdain for the tr- for the Clintons back when they were actually in the White House. Uh, this is just you know b- basically demonizing your enemies and creating enemies that people can sort of loathe. Is just part of the success of Trump to a certain degree and certainly of Fox Television.
0: Is that the new normal now in politics?
3: Well, sir, yeah. I, one can't deny it's the new normal. Uh, one can be feel dismayed about it. Things aren't getting better in American politics. In many ways, they're getting worse. And quite apart from this, is a topic for another day. But the the uh, basically the gridlock in American politics that nothing much can happen anyway because uh, the Republicans and Democrats stuss, you know stalemate each other. Um, these are all problems of Amer- the, of the way American government. It's just a, a dysfunctional system. Um, it's not unique to America, unfortunately. A lot of things are going on because of concern and fear of, 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 um, of refugees coming into their countries. That's something that's going on in a lot of places. But the, the effect of, of the, the Trump years are, going to have, are not going to be uh, ended when Trump leaves office. There's just going to be a lot of doubt and suspicion and hostility. But in terms of style, uh, Trump, Trump's style is just to uh, blame everything on everybody else and to hope that because lots of people are, are critical of the Clintons to begin with, that in fact they're responsible for all of this, but to pin the suicide, um, if that's what happened, and it probably is, to pin the suicide on, on uh, Clinton is really a step too far. It happens that Clinton knew Epstein, and a lot of other people seem to sort of move in his orbit too, as did Trump. I mean, Trump was out having parties with Epstein back in the old days too. That seems to have ended about ten, fifteen years ago. But uh, a lot of people know a lot of other people, and if you're if you're into um, uh, you know, these conspiracy theories, and you want to believe people, people that's part of the problem with, with the social media today. Uh, you, you you get news you want to believe. You you can find sources of information that are going to reinforce the biases you bring into it, and this isn't healthy for society.
0: When things like this happen, I mean, it's one thing for a guy like Scaramucci to, to come out and say that, okay, he no longer supports Trump. But the Republican leadership, uh, of course, are remaining silent on this whole thing. Uh, they remain silent ab- about the mass shootings and Trump's treatment and the photo ops that he did at the in the in Duluth and in El Paso. Uh, is is it still because they look at him as a huge political asset heading into 2020?
3: They're scared of him. Um, I'm not sure in the long run he's a political asset, but in the short run they're afraid that they, they can destroy his careers in terms of winning re-nomination. Let me tell you, again, um, each state has its own rules about... Um, about uh, primaries, Uh, this isn't, unlike Canada, it's not a national decision. Once the Republican candidates that are up for office in the next cycle, which is November 2020, once they're able to win nomination in their ridings, they basically then develop a little bit more freedom in terms of being uh, able to be openly critical of Trump. I'm not sure what's going to happen right now. Trump is trailing in the national election polls, um, but clearly he has not been helping the Republicans in general elections. He, they, he, they took a beating in, in 2018, and I think they're probably going to in the future as well. But what, he can, what Trump can do and what they're fearful of is that he can destroy them, their ability to win the, the nom- renomination. And there have been several cases, uh, in cases um, with regard to um, Arizona and South Carolina, where a few people who did go up and challenge uh, many of Trump's ideas, were, were, were tweeted about by, by Trump, and that, in fact, it led to their own defeat. Ironically, in both those states, the seat subsequently went to Democrats, uh, the Arizona Senate seat, and the, um, the, uh, the, the, the seat in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, as well. Mm. Nonetheless, it's that it's fear of Trump more than the fact that they think Trump is helping them. So many of them do, and, and lot, there's lots of Americans that think Trump is great, and in, particularly in the uh, the rural South and other areas, there's lots of people that uh, that are, are happy with everything that Trump does and are probably willing to blame everything on the Clintons, but they don't come close to 50% of the population. So it's, and that's not going to help them in the, the 2020 election right now looks troublesome. And I think down the road, you know, the, the real harm that Trump is doing, to the Republican party though is alienate America's changing uh, in, demographically just as is Canada and that it it's not just Mexicans but Mexicans are probably the the biggest group these are people who are being alienated away from the Republican party disproportionately i guess uh, people that are just, uh, less well off like the Hispanic community tends to vote democratic anyway but uh, but it's more like proportions of 2 to 1 um, it's not like 95% as it, as it is with the African American community Those numbers, both of um, Mexicans, Hispanics, but also Asians, are growing. And the kind of hostility and racism that's being introduced into American politics is going to, I think, antagonize those people for years, maybe generations to come. And it's going to, in the long term, very much be a detriment to the Republican Party, not to an asset. But in the short run, politicians are only looking at the next election. In the short run, if the Republicans can't win re-nomination, um, their careers are over. And it's fear of that that's keeping them loyal and, and basic. They're not coming out and saying great things about Trump much on these issues, but they're shutting up about it.
0: Well, yeah, and, and, and the Ted Cruz example is maybe a, a, a shining example of that, too. I mean, you know, to make those kind of accusations about his father... Uh, there I guess anybody who, who fears that, that, you know, if I speak up, I'm going to be the next target by Donald Trump on Twitter, and, and what are the impacts of that going to be? Uh, because he doesn't have to dig up anything about your past. He just has to make it up, and people are going to buy into it.
3: Oh, indeed. Uh, I mean, again, there's no veracity to most of this uh uh, it, I, I, I'm not sure they're still doing it, but I remember that the, the Washington Post, Daniel Dale of the Star was also doing counts of the number
0: oh, yeah, yeah.
2: Of
3: public lies. It hit 10,000 last May and I sort of stopped following the count after that. But, uh, you know, again, it tried... Uh, You know, Trump just bs's his way. He did it through life, I guess, with regard to his real estate career. He's still doing it as president. I think it's going to come to a crashing end in one way or another. But nonetheless, this is the way he operates, and having a a scandal a day when you've got scandals every day or every hour, that people forget what happened yesterday and they're on to the next story. And this is just one more illustration of that.
0: So if if you're a Democrat right now and you're seeing this going on, uh, you're thinking, boy, we got a shot at 2020. Uh, but, with twenty candidates are it 's still twenty i guess uh, 're running for the nomination right now
3: well uh, yeah that that will decline I think after the, the this in mid september there 's going to be um, uh, the debates are going to have a a tougher restriction i think it 's going to be closer to ten uh, but look the the democratic nominee is not going to be determined probably until well into uh, well into next year they won 't have as many as they have now. Um, What what I think Trump is hoping is that the Democratic candidate will ultimately be somebody who he can effectively characterize as a socialist. He'll try to call anyone a socialist, but there are people like Bernie Sanders who really are socialists and are quite happy to say so. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, a little bit less so, but nonetheless, those are candidates that he perhaps can effectively demonize on ideological grounds. So one shouldn't assume that the 2020 election is set, even though Trump is trailing the polls now by, by close to 10 points against certainly people like Biden i 'm not sure how that 's all going to going, going to play out, but the Republicans themselves are more concerned about their own hides than they are about Trump, um, and that indeed it 's the the concern that Trump will intervene in their primaries to support more ideological candidates that 's what 's shutting them up fear more than anything else that was the the title of um, woodward 's book about trump yeah it 's fear more than low uh, than fondness or even the sense that Trump is really helping them. Trump isn't getting, helping to get much legislation through. As long as the Democrats hold the House of Representatives, nothing ideological on a conservative viewpoint will be, will be passed. Anything that's being done is being done through executive orders, and those can be undone as quickly by a Democratic president after 2020 as they were by by Trump in trying to undo the things Obama said. So in terms of long term, now the courts are something else. The courts, he has had an impact. Um, and that that may be a little more challenging. But with regard to legislation and executive orders, um, Trump isn't getting all that much done, but he is instilling fear among Republican legislators.
0: Barry Kay from uh, Wilford Laurier. Always a pleasure, Barry. Thanks so much for this today. Thank you. Take care. We'll talk again soon. This story's not going away, obviously. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.